We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 150. Our guest today is an equestrian mental coach and owner of Pressure Proof, which is a coaching academy with weekly video programs, riding clinics, equestrian athlete camps, and so much more. I really wanted him on because today, May 17th, is when his newest book goes live that he published through Trafalgar Square Books called Bolder, Braver, and Brighter, which is the rider's guide to living your best life on horseback. Let's hear it from him. Our guest today, Daniel Stewart. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad that we get a chance to talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today and the amazing news of your newest book. But first, I would love to hear about how you first kind of found yourself into the equestrian world. I think I'm going to surprise you with my answer. <laughs> I think that I think that, that that most people get into the horse world for the right reason, for the love of the horse, because mm-hmm. mom or dad rode horses. I wonder if I'll surprise you when I say I got into the horse world because because of girls. <laughs> really? Okay. I, yeah. I have to hear this full story. You know, I, I think I figured something out pretty early in life. All the boys were on the football field and all the girls were at the barn. So mm-hmm. I, so yeah, in all honesty, I had a, when I was a young boy, I had a girlfriend and her family owned a barn and, and I wanted to be with my girlfriend. So that meant I needed to go to the barn. And when I got to the barn, I found out that I really loved it there. Mm-hmm. found out that it wasn't just about about being there for my girlfriend and I wanted to go there to help her dad with haying or with with stable management. And and of course, after a little while, I broke up with that girlfriend because I met another girlfriend at the bar. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, I was the most popular boy at the bar and I was the only one there and I was straight and I was, Uh yeah. So anyway, I... (laughs) That's amazing. I hope I don't let anybody down. the, The good news is I got to a bar why I got there because I didn't come from a family who grew up with horses. Yeah. I got there in a bit of a weird way, but I was blessed to to have found my way there. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. So as you were finding your way, your place in the equestrian world, what what were you kind of doing as far as riding and, and what point were you like, oh man, like I really love this and I could see this being a part, uh, a big part of my life. Yeah. Neat, neat question. So when I started to get serious about riding, you know, after I figured out that it wasn't just about the girls, it was about the love of the horse. <laughs> yeah. After after I did start to ride, at that time I was in university. I have a degree in sports science, which is a, a physical education degree. You know, my future, you know, when I was young was to be a, a phys ed teacher. As a young boy, I cool. taught skiing. I was on the, uh, the high school volleyball team. I was just an athlete. Mm-hmm. And then and then riding entered my life at the same time I was in university. And and I started to see a connection between between the sports psychology and the biomechanics and the athletics and riding. I started to notice that that I could help riders become better by helping them become more confident. I could help riders become uh, more successful by helping them to become more athletic. So when I started to teach, and I just started to teach you know, summer camps and things like that in the beginning. My teaching was quite different. I had them uh, doing sit-ups. I had them working on building positive, empowering playlists. Wow. I had 
Uh, yes, I was blessed because I was able to take my education, my current education of, of how to get the best out of an athlete. That's what my sports science degree was about, mentally and physically, how to get the most out of an athlete. And so because of my love of horses, I directed my education towards the equestrian world. And, and, and I think, you know what that did is I think that made me a little bit unique. I, I, I think by that point, I knew a lot about riding, a lot about competing, but I also knew a lot about training athletes mentally and physically. So I married my education together with my love and knowledge of riding and booyah, crack a lie. <laughs> four books later on yeah. the question sports psychology and performance and, and i look back on 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 those days as a, a pivotal, pivotal point in my life and i i'm feel i'm lucky to have have been able to combine my education with my love of riding but i also believe that the message of being athletic and confident mm. i believe that that message was the message that was perhaps a little overdue in the equestrian world and one that has been well-received and well-accepted. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty lucky to be able to travel around the world teaching equestrian sports psychology and athletics. So yay. Amazing. That's so cool. And I think that, yeah, you're right. It is super unique to be so you know, skilled in not just one area of of like overall mental health and performance, but also the physical health and performance and the cross training and getting the overall physical strength and the mental strength and how obviously the two working together really improves the overall riding for an equestrian athlete. So I think that's really cool that you have found a way to connect the two. Do you often, let's say you have a new client or new rider that you're working with, is there usually a, a, a case where they are you know, doing well on one um, area and then the other area is suffering or what does that kind of look like in the beginning phases of bringing on a new rider as a client of yours? So it's interesting. I, I've always said that we're fingerprints. We're unique. We're not like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, and my clients tend to, tend to don't really follow any pattern. Okay. Uh, I, I suppose if I had to say so, I'd say that the majority of the equestrians that I work with are not predominantly following an athletic program in, you know, af- after leaving the barn. Sure. The reason is, is because most of us don't have time. Our, uh, the one hour tennis lesson takes one hour, but the one hour mm-hmm. riding lesson takes two and a half hours. So I, I do know that the majority of equestrians don't participate in an extracurricular fitness program because our time is limited. And I do also know that the majority of my clients are, are happy as they can be because they are being introduced to training tools that can help them to be more confident. Mm-hmm. So I would say that in general, most of my riders come to me looking for assistance with the, with the mental coaching part, with the, with the fear of failure or show jitters or whatever it is. And then, and then I shine a light on, you know, we can be athletic as well and they embrace that. There's, there's something called a transfer effect. And we've all experienced this. When we improve one facet of our lives, we subconsciously want to improve other facets. Oh, yeah. I think that most of us can can feel at some point we started an exercise program and then we wanted to eat well. Mm-hmm. They work together. One influences the other. When we make a positive adjustment or a positive change in a behavior in our lives, it usually causes a transfer effect to wanting to do other positive things. So regardless of whether my riders come to me looking for athletic health or mental health, they all leave with both <laughs> because, yeah. because it's kind of a buy one, get one free thing. You, you, you become more confident and you, you want to be a little bit more athletic or you become more athletic and you feel that, that 
I've always said that your hips and your heels and your hands are only half of the way, but your head and your heart complete the journey. So a complete rider is athletic. They have strong hip, heels, and hands, and they're mentally strong riders because they have a strong head where focus and confidence is born and they have a strong heart. And the, the heart's the key because the heart is where we allow ourselves to make a mistake without feeling like a mistake or to fail without feeling like a failure. That's the role of our heart. And without a big heart, without a big head, <laughs> that doesn't sound right, but without, <laughs> without, a, without a heart and a head, then, then our strong leg seating position, that's all good, but it can help us to be great because our focus, our confidence, our uh, a lack of willpower, optimism, that'll hold mm. back our physical. So, so riders come and see me for one thing and they get both mm. and they need both because a strong leg isn't successful without, without confidence and confidence isn't successful without a strong leg. Definitely. Yeah. Let's, let's break apart this full package and talk a little bit about the physical aspect first. How do you, let's say you have someone who, you know, thinks they're good or, you know, I do not have enough hours in the day. I'm at the barn all day, riding, showing, teaching, training that I, you know, get home at 7 PM and do it all again, starting at 5 AM. I have no time to work out, no time to cross train and I'm riding a bunch. So that's kind of a workout anyway. Like what, what do you say? What's your response to a rider like that? So it's not just a response, but it's something that, that I teach from the very beginning. So when I do a, a, a clinic on day two, we always do a boot camp. And I start the boot camp off by saying, I realize the majority of you do not go to the gym because I know the majority of you do not have the time. But what I do is I introduce the idea that, that the model of fitness has changed over the last several years. The initial model of fitness was a 40 to 60 minutes, six days a week. That has been changed. They now say that if you're an athlete, like a football player, soccer player, tennis player, equestrian, if you're an athlete, you get enough exercise done in your sport. They say athletes don't necessarily need more exercise. Athletes, however, mandatorily require cross-training. It's two different things. Mm -hmm. Now, the minimum amount of required cross-training for an athlete is twice a week for 12 minutes. Mm. So believe it or not, I asked my equestrian athletes to give me twice a week, 12 minutes of fitness. Wow! Now that really, really helps a lot of people because deep down inside, we, we want to be respected as athletes. We know we are athletes, yet we have a hard time going to the gym where quote unquote athletes go. Mm -hmm. So I've asked riders, I always ask riders to give me two days a week of 12 minutes and no more, because when we ask for more than it, then it then the cup is half full and it overflows and we can't get any of it done. Yeah. The second thing that I ask riders to do is to not limit their, their perception or their idea of fitness. I don't believe that most riders have the time to go to the gym to do 12 minutes of fitness because many of us, the gym is in the next town mm -hmm. and you got to go home and change out of those clothes into those clothes. So this is what I encourage riders to do. I encourage them to exercise at the barn. Instead of going to a gym and jumping up onto a, uh, onto a fit box, go to the gym and jump up onto a bale of hay or the mounting block. I also recommend that riders work out in the arena, in the deep footing, so they don't need to wear running shoes. The deep footing protects the horse's legs. It does the same for ours. This is what I ask riders to do. 12 minutes of fitness at the barn, wearing boots and britches, jumping up onto blocks mm. and bales of hay, and jumping over ground poles or, or jumps. I have several different exercises I show riders, everything from uh, jumping jacks to a speed rope to burpees. The most important 
difference when it comes to our fitness program. There's something called specificity of sport. The world's best exercises look like a sport. Mm. See, rowers do the rowing machine because it looks like their sport. We need to follow the same rules. So all of the exercises I teach riders look like riding. So Mm. um, just imagine a squat thrust or a jumping jack. We just do that in a two-point position, standing on the ground with our legs spread wide apart, jumping up and down and landing into a two-point position. Mm-hmm. So, so we don't have to work very hard to make our exercise look like our sport because the two-point position, for example, is the basic athletic stance for all riders or for all athletes. If you look at, the, um, if you look at a tennis player preparing to receive the ball to serve, he's in a two-point position. Yeah. If you look at a football player on the line, he's in a two-point position. If you look like if you look at a basketball player giving a free throw, he's in a two point position. We're athletes like every other athlete because we the predominant the, the, the majority of our work in an athletic stance in the two point position. So, anyway, for your riders, um, no need to go to a gym anymore. Work out for twelve minutes at the barn wearing your boots and britches. Put some loud music on. Get some friends. Jump over those mounting blocks. Do some mm-hmm. jumping jacks, and, and then open up some of my books because all of my books will. will show literally hundreds of different exercises that can be done at the barn in your boots and britches. So cool. I mean, and that's just so you kind of touched on that, that 12 minutes twice a week is something that is so less daunting than the previous, you know, 40 to 60 minutes, six times a week. Like that's you, someone, someone could just hear that and be like, there is no way that's happening, but 12 minutes twice a week, that, that sounds a way more realistic and doable for a lot of people. And, and therefore the pressure's off, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. we no longer feel like, like we should do something but can no longer do it. It's very simply, our fitness program needs to fit our busy life and it needs to fit our sport. So therefore, give me 12 minutes twice a week and when you're doing your jumping jacks, make it look like the two-point position, mm-hmm. fitting our lives and fitting our sport. So cool. Love that. And let's talk a little bit about the mental aspect of overall health as an equestrian athlete. What are some of the most common things that you hear from your athlete clients um, that they are either struggling with or, you know, things that they're looking to overcome, stuff that you've noticed working with them? It's interesting. I would say that the 99% of riders come to me with with one of the three challenges, three struggles. And, and again, we're all unique. We're all different. We can all shine a light on some sort of a fear or some sort of distraction. But in general, we can sort of classify mental challenges in one of three ways. We're either focusing on others, outcomes, or being overwhelmed. So hmm. others, outcomes, and being overwhelmed. So others, they've actually, they've actually discovered the root cause of performance anxiety. So for our listeners who are competitive, we now know the actual cause of performance anxiety, meaning if we could become mindful of the cause, we can fix it. Most of us don't really know what the cause of show jitters is, but we now know. So the cause of show jitters is called outgrouping. Outgrouping is when we wonder, wish, and worry about other people. Hmm. We wonder why we're not as good as them. We wish that we were as good as them and we worry we'll never be as good as them. So outgrouping is defined as our tendency to worry what other people are thinking. That's why so many of us struggle when we, when we compete in front of competitors. That's why so many riders worry about what the judge is thinking. That is why so many people worry about letting somebody down or not living up to the expectation of somebody else. So listen carefully to these words. 
if we can get rid of, if we can stop worrying about the judge, if we can stop worrying about the people watching us, the spectators, if we can stop worrying about letting our trainers down or our parents down or not living up to somebody else's expectation, if we can stop those things, and those things collectively are called outgrouping, worrying about other people, if we stop those things, we stop show jitters, right? When you think about it, if we no longer worry about what the judge is thinking, we can finally focus on our dressage tests. If we're no longer worried what the spectators are thinking, we can finally focus on the next fence in front of us. By teaching ourselves to focus on ourselves and no longer on others, by eliminating outgrouping. I love that. I think that that's so, it is like what you were saying, so common and you know, for one reason or the other, we kind of get stuck in that mindset of comparing and and kind of the way sometimes that the sport is outlined for us. It's kind of a lot of the, the judging and the scoring is based off of the little mistakes or the things that you do wrong. And I think that sometimes that comes into play with our mentality and our overall, you know, worth or our performance or perception of, of our ability. Right. Right. And I'll, I'll hit on that in in a few minutes, if you like. So so the first, the first thing that riders come to me with an emotional challenge, they're, they're focusing on outgrouping. They're, they're worried about letting somebody down or not living up to somebody else's expectations, or they're comparing themselves. All of those things lead to underperformance, which leads to shame and doubt and guilt. And, and we just, I'm sorry, but we just cannot participate in a horse with something as beautiful or in a sport with something as beautiful as a horse and allow ourselves to feel shame Mm -hmm. or guilt. We, we, we signed up to be a rider for the love of the horse. How does that ever direct us towards becoming shameful of ourselves? Those, those, those two just, it's an oxymoron. They, they, they can't connect yet. We do, we connect them. So the first thing that, that riders come to me with is they struggle with outgrouping. The second thing they come to me with is they struggle with outcomes outgrouping and outcomes. They're defining their um, value based on outcomes, winning or losing, the color of a ribbon, the step on a podium. What we need to remember is that we should be always defining ourselves based on our efforts, not our outcomes. So we can't control the outcomes. We can't control the wind, the weather, the rain, or the competitors. Now we can't control our efforts. So, so many riders come struggling because they have a fear of failure, a fear of not getting the colored ribbon, a fear of losing, fear of being being second or not as good as somebody else. So outgrouping and outcomes are are really, really understandable reasons that people struggle. We just need to be mindful of them and then just change our mindset to focusing on our efforts, no longer on our outcomes or on other people. And then the third thing that people will struggle with, and this one I get, is feeling overwhelmed. So others, outcomes, and overwhelmed. A rider fell last week at a Oh, at a canter. This week, she can barely trot without feeling nervous. Mm. See, our brain doesn't particularly love that we ride horses. Our brain um, needs two things to maintain its survival instinct. It needs a, the, the perception of predictability, and it needs slow. See, the, ride, or the brain thinks if you're going to get in a car accident, get in a five-miler, because the slower you go, the more safe you're going to be. Our brain needs, us, needs to feel predictable and slow. We've picked it the fast we've picked it we've picked the fastest and most unpredictable sport of all mm-hmm. see our brains would love it if we took up golf or go back to playing volleyball on the beach you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. we've picked the wrong sport when it comes to creating the idea of safety 
So for our readers who have who have struggled with this, they fell and they can't stop thinking about that fall and that fall has taken their confidence away, that fall has taken their desire to want to canter away from them. Remember, it's it's not their fault. They're not bad. They're not broken, not at all. They're just literally functions of 200,000 years of human evolution. Our brain has been telling us forever, get off that horse. He's too unpredictable. He's too fast. Take up golf. <laughs> Yet we say we love horses too much. We're not going to do it. So we ride and we fall and we get hurt and we break a clavicle. And then the brain is yelling at us. I told you, I told you riding is not safe. Don't you dare get back up on the horse, mm. but we love it too much. And we get back up and then the brain yells at us. Well, don't you dare go fast. See, that's why when we're really good at cantering after a bad fall, we don't want to canter anymore. Kind of a weird little story. But when I was a young boy, I was mountain climbing and I fell. It was a pretty good fall. It was pretty close to not coming back. I've had a fear of heights ever since. See, my brain now equates height with danger. So it gave me a fear of heights and it keeps me safe. I'm still alive. Now, I guess I'm okay with that because going close to a cliff doesn't mean that much to me. But our brains can give us a fear of speed, which influences our confidence on our horse. So riders come to me with three predominant challenges, outgrouping, outcomes, and being overwhelmed by situations that have caused them to be fearful. Yeah, I think that that, I love those categories because I think that it really does. I mean, whether you have one of those things or multiple, it seems like most riders at, at some capacity struggle with at least one of the three. They're always going to struggle with one of the threes. I don't, I don't mean all the time, but sooner or later, mm -hmm. right? Sooner or later, we'll bump into one of those. You know, we'll be, we'll be, let's say we take a young rider. She's 11 years old. She's still in love with riding. Her only desire is to make a birthday cake that a horse can eat and bounce around on the back of the big fat pony. <laughs> one day she's going to encounter a, a teacher in middle school, for example, who, 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 maybe equates a, a poor math test with a getting a, a good class in high school or maybe maybe even a good job in the future. And all of a sudden, that young rider, not unintentionally, has now developed the fear of failure, the fear that, that if I don't do well, I'm, I'm not going to be successful. And then all of a sudden, she goes to the next horse show and she's not the same kid she was. She's now focusing on outcomes. She's also focusing on her teacher because she doesn't want to let her teacher down anymore. So we're all going there. It's, it's important for us to understand we are imperfect. None of us are perfect. From the 11-year up-and-downer to the high-performance rider you see on TV, none of us are perfect. We all will struggle with something. We all need help from time to time. Mm -hmm. We're willing to, to exercise because it helps us to be physically stronger. We get that. But we also have to be open to the idea that sometimes we need to exercise mentally. And mental exercises to become more confident or overcome fears, those are just as important as the physical exercises, aren't they? Switching gears a bit because I have a question for you listening. How much time and money do you spend on your horse's training and maintenance versus the time and money spent on your personal training and maintenance to enhance your ability as a rider? 
This is where Athlete EQ comes in. Athlete EQ is a complete fitness and health concept specialized for equestrian athletes. Training to strengthen the abilities as a rider needs to be specific and efficient. It needs to be long-term and it needs to be adjusted over time as we develop in the sport together with our horses. The health and fitness of the rider should be considered just as often as the health and fitness of the horse because it's a true team sport and it really helps to have the health and fitness of both horse and rider in check. My girl Nina from Athlete EQ has a deep understanding of the equestrian sport. She is actually also an equine nutritionist and works with some of the world's leading sport veterinarians. She also works with some top riders on their fitness and nutrition, like Jessica Springsteen, Emily Moffat, and Adrian Sternlicht. She also works with some top riders specifically on their equine nutrition, like Michael and John Whitaker's horses and Nelson and Rodrigo Pessoa's horses. I'm telling you, this is an incredible program, and I am so excited for Nina to come on the podcast very soon, so be on the lookout for her episode. But for now, take a look at our website at athleteq.eu. That's A-T-H-L-E-T-E-Q dot E-U for more information. Thank you so much, Athlete EQ. All right, let's go back to the episode. What would you say about the balance. I mean, obviously you've worked with Olympic athletes. You've worked with some people who have really reached the top of the sport all over the world where outcome is, you know, obviously a big reality of why they ride and and part of their job and their livelihood and their goals and very competitive. What, how do you find that balance or, or talk through that balance with those riders that outcome is, you know, a big part of the, you know, overall uh, reason why they do the sport besides the love for it, but just that it's a big part. Right, right. Because outcome influences our, you know, if you look at a trainer, outcome uh, outcomes will influence their, their potential career, won't it? And oftentimes trainers will, will feel the pressure that they need to maintain a winning record, mm-hmm. maintain their placement on the leaderboard, or else perhaps people will lose confidence in their ability to train, which is, excuse me, it's just a crock because the world's, I know some of the world's best riders that cannot teach their way out of a plastic bag. <laughs> they're just the worst trainers ever, but but they're they're on top of the world. Just because we're a good rider doesn't mean doesn't mean we're going to be a, a good teacher. Mm-hmm. So 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 I, I I guess I got a little off topic right there. But but this is just so important for us to understand, and and it's a it's a it's it's a it's a skill that needs to be acquired and learned, and it, and it does happen. And I'll give you some good examples. But for a trainer who is focusing on outcomes. For a trainer who is focusing on having to win or else others will, will, will think they're not worthy of, of being their trainer, they are also subjecting themselves to outgrouping. They're now worrying about other people. As soon as we worry about other people, we distract ourselves from our jobs. So my message in my work with trainers is to teach them the skill, and this is really hard to do, but to focus on the effort and not the outcome again. Here's the problem. When we focus on outcomes, when we worry about losing, when we worry about losing clients, then we become tense and tight and anxious. See, when a human worries, when we feel anxiety, the brain releases adrenaline. Adrenaline makes us tense, tight, and forgetful. There's no two ways around this. If a trainer, for example, is worrying about outcomes, they will struggle achieving outcomes. 
because they are chemically tense, tight, nervous. They're forgetful and they struggle making rational decisions. See, we're functions of chemicals. The chemical adrenaline, which we've all felt before when we get nervous, influences our ability to succeed or fail. Now, there's a lot of athletes that want that. Hockey players and football players want that adrenaline rush, but a question is we need to manage the adrenaline rush. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem. When we are anxious, we release cortisol and adrenaline. They cause us to be tense, tight, forgetful, and and an inability to make rational decisions. The one way that we overcome that is to no longer focus on outcomes. And I get it. I get, even as I say that, I know who I am. I know who I grew up as. I get that it's hard for people to hear, teach yourself to avoid focusing on the outcome and focus on your effort instead. You can only focus on one thing at a time. That's why we do not text and drive because the brain is not designed to focus on two things at the same time. You have a choice. Focus on outcomes or focus on performance. You cannot do both. Focusing on the effort, focusing on the fence in front of you, focusing on the class that you have in an hour, focusing on your efforts rather than your opponents, your competitors, the judges, your students. See, they're just distractions. And if we can focus on our efforts, then we can become the best version of ourselves. And we have to believe the best version of ourselves is valuable. Somebody that somebody should pay to be their trainer. It's a really difficult concept, and it sometimes takes a little while. I work a lot one-on-one with riders on the phone or through Zoom, and this is one of the big things that we do. We develop strategies to direct our attention towards effort, not outcome. But I get it. I get it. I get. And I was that rider growing up. It was all about the outcome. It was all about first place or first loser. Don't get me wrong. That's who I was. But but I I I was always losing because I was always worrying about other people. It wasn't until I started to, 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 to put myself in a bubble and focus only what was on inside that bubble. Only thing in the bubble is me and my horse. So that's the only two things that deserve my attention. It's a difficult concept and it takes some time, but the world's best trainers are catching on to this. And mm-hmm. you don't have to do this. I want you to think about this. I want you to listen to a professional athlete on TV now. We, I, I like hockey. I watch hockey and, and somebody will, they'll, they'll um, interview a hockey player. And the hockey player says, you know what? We had a brilliant game today. Our, our opponents, they really pushed us to the very end. This is the best I've ever seen our opponents play. Every minute they were, they were on us. Every minute they pushed us. We had to be our very best. We had to come together as a team because they were just an awesome force to deal with. See, if you listen to a successful high-performance athlete in any sport, they have now been taught to focus on effort, not others. Mm -hmm. They're no longer blaming a loss on their teammates, and they're no longer blaming a loss on their opponents cheating. They're simply focusing on their efforts. Mm. We did our very best today. We came up a little bit short, but the efforts we made today are going to help us to become a stronger team in the future. Those are what you hear on TV now, because every high-performance athlete on the planet is now in a mental coaching program, teaching them to no longer think of other people or outcomes, but to focus on your effort and how your shortcomings are going to make you stronger in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great mindset and something that, I mean, I always kind of joke that the equestrian industry is behind five to 10 years than the rest of the world sometimes. But I think that that's something that, like you were saying, our equestrian athletes are starting to 
really embrace more and more that that mentality. But yeah, I think it's something that is very important and something that us as equestrians definitely need to work on focusing, shifting that mindset more and more. I think you're right on the number. I think we're 10 years behind other athletes. You know, I do four-day equestrian athlete training camps at the equestrian at, at, at colleges. So Virginia Tech, US, the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid. I take equestrians to training camps or to training facilities around the country for four days. And they do four days of mental coaching, four days of fitness, four days of nutrition, four days of, of injury prevention. It's the most amazing four days ever. And when people find out horses aren't invited, most equestrians don't go. <laughs> most of us, well, why would I spend four days of trying to be a better equestrian, but not take my horse. Mm -hmm. Well, every athlete in the world does dry land training. Every swimmer in the world does cross training. They run laps. Every tennis player in the world, yeah, cross training is really important. And dry land training camps are part of every athlete's program. However, most equestrians are still of of the mindset, I cannot become a better equestrian unless I'm on the back of a horse. Now, I get it. You cannot become a good equestrian until you get on the back of a horse. But from time to time, taking yourself off that horse for four days to become more resilient, to develop confidence, to develop core strength, to develop stamina, to develop body awareness, suppleness and symmetry, to develop a good eating program, a healthy diet, to learn how to stretch and to to take care of your injuries. All we're asking is for equestrian to do a dry land training camp like every other athlete on the planet. Mm -hmm. Yet the majority, when they find out my training camps don't include horses, they're like, why would I want to do that? (laughs) I bet you in 10 years from now, we'll have a standing room only in these training camps. And, and, and we're just a little behind. We're, we're catching up though. Yeah, definitely. Are you around Lake Placid during the end of June, beginning of July, the, the two week horse show? Oh, that's it. Yeah. So, so it's interesting for the last three years in a row, I did teach those four day training camps at the Olympic training center in um, Lake Placid, which is, what is it? It's about three quarters of a mile from the showgrounds. Love it. And we always build that training camp either immediately before the train, before the horse show or immediately after so that the, the riders who were there can arrive four days early get their workout done for four days and then go immediately to the show or we have them at the show. The trainers haul the horses back home and then the riders stay with us at the Olympic training center. So we've done that for three years in a row. And as a result, that training camp has been sold out six times for the last three years in a row. It's almost a little bit like we need to, we need to get somebody in the neighborhood for them to say, well, the horses aren't there. I'll have ridden a lot. So I can take four days off since I'm in the neighborhood. I'm okay with that. I mean, that's that was the plan. Let's make it convenient, just like the fitness. Mm-hmm. Do fitness at the barn in your boots and britches. Go to a training camp because you're uh, you're right up the street. Might as well mm-hmm. just uh, drop your helmet and pick up your running shoes and then go jump into the the, the the dorm rooms at the at the training center. Love it. That's so cool. Tell me a little bit about your book, your newest book, Bolder, Braver, Brighter. Tell me a little bit about what, why you decided to write this book and kind of what was your thought process behind writing it? 
So this book has been built upon my three other books. This is my fourth book. My first book was predominantly on questioning biomechanics and fitness. And then my second and my second book was all sports psychology. My third book, once again, was sports psychology and fitness. This book goes back to complete sports psychology. And it's the, the purpose of this is, is simply because over the last two decades of teaching clinics around the world, it's just become very obvious to me that that being happy in our happy place is everyone's everyone's goal there's not a writer out there that that doesn't believe that when they leave their their work or their school or their house that they're going to a place called their happy place everybody tells me that but then i get to the barn and not everybody looks so happy (laughs) because they're comparing themselves to the others they wish Mm -hmm. their legs were as long as somebody else's or they wish they can make writing look as easy as somebody else Mm -hmm. they're worried about um they're worried about outcomes are they going to lose this weekend they're worried about being overwhelmed because they fell at the canter last weekend and now they're afraid of trotting this book is born upon two decades of well, there's been three decades of coaching around the world with a clear realization that what's going on between our ears impacts what happens below them. I, 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 get, I get that the leg in the seat and, and the position of posture is really important, but I also know that when our confidence is low, when we're worried, when we're anxious, when we're tense, when we're comparing ourselves to others, worrying about letting somebody down, I know that what's happening below our ears is going to be influenced by that. So yeah, this book... Uh, and it's interesting. I, I I have to give a shout out to my publishers, Trafalgar Square Publishing. Twenty years ago, they they took a flyer on me and they they believed in me and they put together my first book. And and giving giving for them to give voice to somebody who had a, a different spin on things because I might have been the first one on on the scene teaching mental coaching and athletics to equestrians. And, and for them to give my words uh, or my voice words on paper, I, th- I thought that was pretty courageous of them. Since then, they've helped me produce three wonderful equestrian mental coaching books. But my favorite thing happened with this book. I initially set out to call this book Brighter, Braver, Bolder. And my publisher said, we love the book, but we, we don't like the title. And I'm like, what do you mean? You're like, they got, you got the words out of order. I wrote the book in three sections. I, I wrote the first section is brighter, you know, mm-hmm. brighten your life. The second section is bolder. The last section is braver. And they said, you need to change it around because you got the words wrong. And I'm like, what do you mean I got the words wrong? And they're like, coach, if you can help riders to become bolder and braver, they'll have a brighter life. I think you need to change. I think you need to put the bright as the last part. Huh. Now you can't write a book of 70,000 words in one order and then just simply <laughs> put 20,000 words in the beginning because everything I talked about in the first chapter is referred to every... I had to rewrite the darn book. But they were right. They were wow. completely right. If we become bolder and braver, then we create a brighter life. Like I said before, everybody has one goal. That's to be happy in their happy place. That's their ultimate goal. But you cannot be happy if you don't feel bold and brave. And if we do feel bold and brave, then we get that happiness, which feels a lot like brightness. So a huge shout out to my publishers for always keeping me in my lane, always (laughs) letting me know that that I repeat myself too much and can't spell my way out of a out of a paper bag. They always take care of me with that. But but for for giving a mental coach the ability to 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 sit on a table in 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 a barn where riders might read it 
and, and for that message to be believe in yourself, never compare yourself to others, never define yourself by your outcomes, but instead by your efforts, always to value yourself as, as somebody who is bold and brave and bright. For them to have given me that that voice and to deliver that message, I, 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 I just can't imagine that it hasn't helped thousands and thousands of riders around the world be happier in their happy place. Definitely. Wow. I am so excited to read it. It's now available. I know it came out May 17th. And so you can find it at horseandriderbooks.com through Trafalgar Square. But I, I'm so excited. I think that that is a book for every single equestrian to read and get something out of. So that that's so exciting. Tell me about an area of the industry that you are very passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either doesn't know a lot about or just doesn't talk that much about. Well, this is, I'm not sure if this is, yeah, this is the, this is a good answer. So, so you know what I'm really passionate about? Hmm. I'm really passionate about, the idea of, of making mistakes and and there's a there's a we get a lot wrong in a lot of things that we do and one thing that we all get wrong is that we think mistakes are bad mm-hmm. we think mistakes mean that we're not good enough we attempted something but we don't have the skills to get that thing done we have mistakes wrong mistakes are not bad mistakes are building blocks they're a scaffold that allows us to grow i've always said that that writing isn't about being right or wrong it's about being the right amount of wrong I also always said, if you're doing everything right, you must be doing something wrong because you're in your comfort zone. Mm. Many riders want to avoid leaving their comfort zone because they're afraid mistakes will happen. The problem is if we don't make mistakes, we can't lose from, learn from them. And if we don't learn from them, we cannot grow. Mm-hmm. See, we're not just supposed to go through life. We're supposed to grow through life. We will not grow if we're afraid of making mistakes. And, and I get it. I get that a lot of people like me have told a lot of people like you that mistakes are your best teacher. Uh-huh. But my son proved it to me last year. He came home and he said, Papa, I got 86% on an AP calculus exam. I said, what a great grade. Good for you. And he says, yeah, it's great. But the only problem is my teacher doesn't give me the papers back. See, I don't know which questions I got wrong. See, now if Luca can get that paper back and identify where he's made his mistakes, he will understand that concept better in the future. Mm -hmm. The mistakes were his teacher. We get mistakes wrong. In sports psychology, mistakes are mandatory. If you are not making mistakes, you are not learning. If you are not making mistakes, you're in your comfort zone where you will not grow. The one thing that we get wrong is we believe mistakes are bad. We define ourselves as a mistake. We define ourselves as a failure. So I'm really hoping that that message can be can 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 be shared with your with your audience. When we make mistakes, we feel shame. We shouldn't. When we make mistakes, we should feel curious. What caused it? What can I do to fix it? What can I do to overcome it? What can I do to never do it again? Mm-hmm. See, when we experience a mistake and own it, don't blame it away, but own it and understand it and fix it, then we get to grow. I've always said, and this is my favorite, most favorite quote of all time, is equestrians don't make mistakes. Mistakes make equestrians. Mm. They make us bolder and braver and brighter. So. Yeah, one thing I'm passionate about is 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 the idea that mistakes are good and not bad. And I hope that the rest of the industry starts to catch on to that because so many of us are afraid of making mistakes, which simply makes us make more mistakes. Mm-hmm. Let's lighten up, let's own them, let's understand them, let's fix them, and let's let our mistake help us to 
to be bolder, braver, and brighter. Wow, what a great reminder. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through kind of how you got to where you are today and what you are teaching us through your amazing books and your newest book. I'm so excited to give it a read, but thank you again, and I wish you all the best. Well, thank you for letting me um, be part of your program. I admire you, and I thank you for sharing all these wonderful things with you, writers. Thanks again, Beth. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.